Wild. That guy's wild. <laughs> uh, thanks, Isaac. You, it's awesome. Um, so, you should have seen. You should have seen him out. It was seriously super windy out there, and I'm, I'm driving by, and like, is he has a music stand in front of him with all of his notes on it, and it's just literally blowing over. Like every time, he, it's hilarious. He was super mad about it, but he pulled through. <laughs> um, so awesome. So Pastor Rick is not here. He's currently celebrating uh, with his wife, Tammy, their 35, uh, 35th year an- anniversary. So uh, we're, we're super blessed. Um, I, oh, I thought someone was pointing at me. Like, you're wrong. No. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I'm, I'm super blessed. You guys are in for a treat. We have Pastor Jesse Bailey from Legacy Family Church, and I consider him a good friend, and you guys are going to be blessed. He's bringing the word, so welcome him. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Good evening. God speak. How are we doing tonight? About 25% are awake. All right. How's everybody else doing tonight? Praise the Lord. I mean, think about it. We're in the house of God on a Saturday night. Not a mask in sight. I'm just saying, glory to God. Uh, as, as Micah said, my name is Pastor Jesse Bailey. I have the privilege of pastoring a little church in the San Fernando Valley called Legacy Family Church with my beautiful wife, Jennifer, who is with me tonight. And I have to tell you all, I absolutely love your pastors. You all have some real shepherds in this house. I'll tell you that right now. It is... It is rare in these days to see such a bold stand for truth and for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of such uh, terrible persecution. And I shouldn't say terrible persecution because there are people who have it a lot worse, but this is stuff that we haven't seen in uh, our days here in the United States of America. And it was because of pastors like Pastor Rob, Pastor Rick, and those who share that fervor for truth and for liberty that we now in California are free from the tyranny. Thank you, Jesus. So it is a, it is a privilege to be here tonight, and it is no small thing to be able to stand in the pulpit of another shepherd and speak to their flock. So I consider it a great honor, and the Holy Spirit truly is going to lead us and guide us into his truth tonight. So if you all wouldn't mind, would you stand with me as we read the word? If you do not have a Bible, you can lift your hands up and Linda and her awesome team will bring one to you. And as customary here at Godspeak, that Bible is yours to keep if you need one. So just lift your hand up. We're going to be reading from the book of Genesis tonight, starting at verse 1. We're taking it right back to the beginning here this evening. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. 
Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Then God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb the yield, uh, that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, into which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come here tonight to hear your word. And we invite your very presence to be our teacher here tonight. Lord, would you lead us and guide us into all truth? 
Father, we open up our hearts and our minds to receive the word of God that is able to save and sustain our very souls. And I offer myself simply as a vessel, Lord God, for you to use. We ask that you would be our teacher here tonight, and that man would not speak, but truly God would speak in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What a wonderful account of God creating all things. He made all things, and he said it's good according to its kind. And in the midst of that, we see, as he's speaking and making things according to its kind, he decided that he would make man according to his image and his likeness. I want to draw your attention back to verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God said, I'm going to make mankind in my image and in my likeness. Now, when he said in my image and likeness, of course, he's not saying that I'm going to make mankind and he shall be about six, two and a half, 180 pounds, and I'll give him a beard and a slight balding spot so that my glory shines off of it. No, the image and likeness that he was talking about was his character and his nature would be put into his children. My beautiful wife and I, we have seven children, uh, six together, and one the Lord brought into our family and was adopted. So I have six little mini-me's running around. And it's, it's wonderful, the, the gift of, of parenthood, because it's a wonderful payback for our parents. I look at my children and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what my parents were dealing with, and you reap what you sow. And I'm often reminded that it is my DNA that brings up most of the trouble, and it is true. It is absolutely true. But the wonderful thing about it is when you look at your children, you see the very characteristics that you possess and your spouse possess. They got the same eyes, they got the same nose, you got the same ears, and how many of y'all have ever gotten tired of being saying, oh my gosh, you look just like your mom, oh my gosh, you look just like your dad. But it extends beyond that, because now it's you sound just like your dad, or you make that face just like your mom, or the way you, you, you... carry yourself, reminds me. So there's these characteristics that go beyond just our our physical attributes that make us look like and stand in the image and likeness of our parents. And God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Now here's the interesting thing. The very next thing God says is not, let them have my eyes, let them have my ears. He didn't say, let them have my love. Let them have my hope. Let them have my peace. He said, let them have dominion. The first thing that God says about us after having said, let me make them in my image and likeness, is let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Dominion. Okay, you guys said it like you don't have dominion. You got to say, here, this is how you do it. Put some bass in your voice. You say, dominion. Dominion. Yeah, now it sounds like you got dominion. God said, let them have dominion. Now, before we go any further, I want to acknowledge something real quick. This reality, this truth, is something that unfortunately has been abused within the body of Christ. As happens with much of God's truth, mankind has taken it and twisted it in order to suit its own selfish desires. And as a result, we have doctrine like dominionism, which is heretical in nature because it seeks to advance the will of man rather than the will of God. From this type of thinking, we get the 
prosperity, health and wealth doctrine that seeks to tell everyone that you are supposed to be, you know, everyone's supposed to be healthy all the time and everyone's supposed to be rich. You know, just, just do this and God is going to make you rich. And, and we've seen the devastation that that has caused, even though it is based in a truth that has been twisted into a lie. So I'm not talking about dominionism. I'm not talking about us manifesting things in this life. There's too much of the metaphysical that has worked its way into the church, and we need to get back to the purity of God's word. Plus, that's way too hard. Have you ever tried to manifest a Mercedes? It's just too much work. I see a Mercedes. I see a Mercedes. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. It just doesn't work all that well. Trying to manifest stuff. No. God's dominion does not exist so that we can take authority over other mankind and see our will come into the earth. God's dominion, the very purpose of dominion, is to keep God's order in the creation. That is why dominion exists. That is its purpose, is to maintain the order of God. Let's go back to the very beginning. I want to prove this to you scripturally. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He can do all things, knows all things. I've often wondered why when God in the beginning created all things, did he make them without form, void, and dark. We all know God could have spoken a word, and in an instant, in a nanosecond, all creation could have existed. He didn't need to take six days. He could have taken six milliseconds, and all things were on the planet. But he said he created all things, and he says, look, the earth was without form. Without form in the Hebrew means chaotic. It means chaos, void, that means empty, and darkness. There was no light you could not see. Why would an all-knowing, all-powerful God see fit to, in the very beginning, allow there to be chaos, emptiness, and darkness before he went to, to work? I want to offer this to you tonight. Everything that God says and does in his word is for a purpose. It is not for us to just sit there and enjoy a story. God is communicating part of his plan and his very nature in every single word that was put into this book we call the Bible. He is revealing something. In the beginning, God created, but there was chaos, there was emptiness, and there was darkness. You know what's interesting is that describes my life before he came into it. Before the Lord came into my life, it was chaotic. It was empty. And it was dark. And I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what I was doing. And this is a, a young man who was raised in the things of God, but had departed from them for a season. And I found myself chaotic. Empty dark you can't see see God wanted us to know that without him this is what you're working with you're working with chaos you're working with emptiness you're working in darkness 
But I love the next part. It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the midst of the darkness, the chaos, the emptiness, God's Spirit was hovering and the Word of God was released. And when the Word of God was released, order came. It was filled with light. And now you could see. God's dominion exists to bring order. Dominion just at its basic definition in the Hebrew, comes from the word radah. means to rule, to have dominion, to tread down, to rule. I put that in there twice because that's really important. To subjugate, to prevail against, to cause, to dominate. Then in Merriam-Webster's, the exercise of control, sovereignty, a territory or sphere of influence in a realm. We see that in verses 1 through 3 again. We see that God creates all existence and then in a moment of time brings his order and structure into an empty, chaotic, and dark world. When we talk about dominion, when we hear the word we associate it with the word dominate. What are some thoughts that come to mind when you hear the word dominate? Lording over, violence, causing someone who is lesser than to be subject to. In this country, especially amongst what the media and certain elements in our nation have tried to do over this last year and often do, is stir up the sins of our nation's past and bring up thoughts of slavery and subjugation and pain and suffering. So when we hear the word dominion, it stirs up inside of us either a rejection of the idea for fear of being subject to someone ruling over you, or it stirs up pride. Pride in the sense that we can take dominion over and impose our will onto other people and other things. And neither one of these is correct. It is neither to dominate others nor to be dominated by others. It is for us as God's children made in his image and likeness to bring his order into this earth. And that, family, is a birthright. Dominion is a birthright that we have as his children. I love the song that we were singing, I Am a Child of God. How many times do we think about what that means? We say it, but what does that mean when we say, a I am a child of God? It means that what she said in the beginning, that we are made in his image and likeness, and we possess his very nature and characteristics, and not only that, we possess his call, too. You know what the family business is, the call that we have? Dominion. That's the family business. Because we are bringing God's order into a chaotic, dark, and empty world. And unfortunately, it is something that we have abdicated to this world time and time again. And we see it first in Genesis chapter 3. We are all familiar with the fall of man. We know the story. Good old Eve. And we always want to blame Eve. And then all the ladies are like, man, darn it. No, it wasn't Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. 
Amen. I got an amen from one lady in the back. It's Adam's fault. What happened in that moment? We see the serpent, Satan, our adversary, slithers onto the scene, and he begins speaking to Eve, testing her knowledge of the word, playing on some insecurities, questioning her identity, and gets her to eat of the one tree. Isn't it interesting how the devil can get us to focus on the one thing we don't have? God gives all the trees of the earth, and he gets Adam and Eve to focus on the one that they can't have. And through that process of deception, Eve takes of the fruit and eats. And the Bible says, and her husband with her. In other words, Adam was standing right there. Come on, man. You had one job. You had one job. God said to tend and keep the garden. That word tend means to work. So that means that God gave man a job. And then he said to keep. That means to protect. Think about it. Why would God ask Adam to protect the garden? What did he have to protect it from? Unless the Lord had put someone in there for him to exercise dominion over. There was an adversary in the garden. Revelations 12 speaks of Satan being cast down to earth. In Ezekiel, it says that he was in the Garden of Eden. He was there. Adam had someone to guard and protect his wife and God's creation from. He had someone there that was going to try and bring disorder and chaos to the order that God had brought. And Adam dropped the ball big time. He took from his wife and ate. And in that moment, we saw God's order reversed. And now, as a result, we see the chaos, the emptiness of our world because God's order has been flip-flopped. What was the order of God? That God would rule over man who would be the head of his wife and they would be led by the spirit, take dominion over their flesh and through their actions have dominion and exercise God's will and his order here on the earth, especially over the enemy. What did the enemy do? He came in and used God's creation, the tree, to seduce the flesh, to override the spirit, and the heart of the wife who gave to her husband who rejected God by obeying Satan. Just flip-flopped it all and brought chaos. And thus we lived in that for many years. And we continue to let go of the dominion that we are supposed to walk in simply because it gives us a temporary benefit. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, just quickly, to Genesis. We're going to look at chapter 25, verses 29. We'll begin there. Genesis 25. This, to me, is one of the most frustrating stories in the Bible. Here we see... Esau and Jacob. Jacob, of course, is the mama's boy. Mama loves him. And then Esau, he's the man's man. He's the hunter. Esau comes in from the field having hunted. 
and Jacob is sitting there cooking. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What a frustrating story. This guy gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup and a piece of bread. His birthright. A birthright was something that was precious. It wasn't just something that was monetary. Your birthright was a, a, a place that you had within the family. That means that when, when Jacob now stepped into that place, Esau was now subject to him in the future. Because when his father passed on, whoever had the birthright, it gave you an extra portion of the inheritance. And with that extra portion, it also gave you the right to be the head of the family. You were now the patriarch. So he gave up his position of dominion, gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. And before we get too mad at him, Think about how many times in our life, and I think about this often, how many times you give up your peace for just a, a, a moment of feeling good about yelling at somebody. We, we let go of financial security because we were watching, you know, HVC, what is that, Home Shopping Network or whatever that is, or you saw that advertisement, or darn Facebook or Instagram, they got you dialed in. One second you're talking about, you know what? I was thinking about buying X, Y, and Z, and then it pops up on your phone, and then they got you. And you're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I, I, I bought this thing, I did this thing, I said these words, and now that cost me my peace. You know, husbands and wives, you're in that moment, and you're having what my wife and I call intense fellowship. Just intense fellowship, that's all it is. And right when you're about to say something that you know you shouldn't say, there's this little voice saying, don't say that. And then it just kind of comes out and you're like, no, come back. Damage done. For in that one moment, you get to kind of win an argument. Now, it's three days of settling down and coming back together. But we do that often. We let go of our dominion so that in a moment of time, we can feel good. And Satan is excellent at getting us to do this. See, when we fell in the garden, we no longer had our, our birthright. We were no longer born into dominion. We were born into slavery. We were born into sin because we were made subject to it. This is why as, as believers, and we look at the chaos that's in the world right now. I can't get mad at unbelievers. I can't get mad at people who are standing for things that are contrary to the word of God when they don't know Jesus. They're born slaves to sin. Why would I be mad at someone who's born into that? This is why I don't, I don't argue 
with people who don't know Jesus. I just share the gospel. Because until you know Jesus, you're not going to hear anything else I have to say. Because there's no truth. There's no order. They're living in a place of chaos and emptiness and darkness. So let's get them out of that place. And now we can start moving in the order of God. Trying to bring the order of God to someone doesn't make sense if they don't know him. But for us who know him, those who have been born again, we now have back this dominion that Christ won for us on the cross. Deception stole it from us, but his death won it back. But this is, again, not so we can go around and tell everybody what to do. It's not so we can take dominion over everyone and we can be rich in all these things that are promised to us. No, it is simply bringing order back again. If you look at your life and you find any areas of chaos, if you find areas of, of emptiness or you find an area of darkness in your life, it simply means that we have not submitted to the order of God. That's all it means. So when we talk about walking in divine order, walking in God's dominion, it means that we are not trying to take back everything and win the world. It's, a, it's about us operating in the world in a manner that brings glory to God and brings his will here on earth just as it is in heaven. And it takes practice, it takes time, it takes some steps, and we're going to go over those steps in just a moment. You know, the Bible says that on the day we see the devil, that serpent of old, we're going to look at him and we're going to turn our head and say, it was you, it was you who deceived the nations, it is you who got me to, to doubt my God, to abdicate my authority and everything that God has given me, it was you who did this? Because we're going to look at him and realize that he was nothing really to contend with. The enemy is not our number one enemy. Truly, it's ourself. I want to walk you through some steps. And in order to do this, I want to go to the book of 2 Kings. Turn there. 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to look at a young man named Josiah and how he brought God's order back into a chaotic land. You know, I remember teaching these life lessons to my, to my children. You know, we all have ir irrational fears at times. Anybody have like a weird, irrational fear? You don't have to admit it to anybody right now, but I, I've, I've, I've known people who have been afraid of uh, random things like cotton balls. That, that is an actual phobia, that people are afraid of cotton balls. Uh, they have random phobias for things like ducks. Anybody afraid of ducks in here? There's a terrifying fear of ducks. And these are outside the things that are normally rational. I mean, most people fear uh, death. You know, there's people who fear spiders. The number one fear of all. You know what the number one fear is? Public speaking. That means most people, a lot of people, would rather die than come up here and look at you all and speak. I'll take death over that. So we can have these irrational fears that come in and take dominion over us. One of my children had an irrational fear of crickets. Now, spiders I can understand because they can bite you. You know, snakes, I mean, you know, I get it. But crickets, I wanted my children to, to walk in dominion. I wanted them to understand that God said that we have dominion over all the creeping things and not to walk in fear, not to walk subject to that because all fear really is is admitting that something has power over you. 
That's what fear is. When you walk in fear of something, you are saying that I am subject to you, you have power, you have dominion over me. And I was like, little one, you have dominion over crickets. And they would swear to me up and down that they did not have dominion over crickets. And I tried everything within reason. I said, but don't you see how small they are? It, like, no, I, I can't do it. I'm like, but they don't have teeth. They don't bite you. They don't do anything. And I pick it up in my hand. See, it's a cricket. They're not going to do anything. No, daddy, no. And it was so difficult. And I don't recommend this to anyone. It was just what I felt led to do in the moment. I said, dear one, we're going to get over this today. So I found a cricket. And I said, come with me. And we strolled over to the bathroom. And I threw the cricket in. And I said, listen. You are a child of God. You have dominion. It is your birthright. Jesus lives in you. He is Lord of all. And if he is in, greater is he than is in you than the cricket that's in the bathroom. Come on now. And they said, Dad, I said, go now and take dominion. And I put him in the bathroom and I shut the door. And you would think that my child was being abused. They're like, no, dad, no. And I said, you can do it. And they're like, no, no. And I said, only one of you is coming out alive. <laughs> and it took only about 10 to 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, they had dominion. And they brought out the cricket and a tissue. And I said, how do you feel? They said, I feel good. I said, you want to do it again? They said, no. <laughs> no, I don't. But the point is, is this, is that we continually bow down to things that we have dominion over, that we are supposed to bring order to. And it doesn't mean we go around killing anything that comes in our way. Not at all. It is a mindset. It is a way of thinking. It is a way of understanding God and knowing our plan and, and, and the plan and purpose that he has for us. We see this played out with the King Josiah. First, uh, sorry, Second Kings Chapter 22, starting at verse 1, says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jida, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So here we have a little eight-year-old boy that now is king. And the Bible says that he did all that, was, all that he did was right in the eyes of God. Now it came to pass, verse 3, in the 18th year of King Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house. So we see young Josiah, and he has a burden to build the house of God. He is walking in what is right before the Lord. So he gives commandment to rebuild the house. So he sends them up. He sends the carpenters. He sends everyone up to begin to build the house of the Lord. And in verse 8, it says, Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, 
the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shapham, and he read it. So Shapham the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the, gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. So listen, this kingdom, Israel, Judah, they have been in darkness and in chaos. As you go through the, the book of Kings, you see that every king they have done evil and wicked in the eyes of the Lord. They have worshipped the Baals. They have built the altars of Asherah. They have done all wickedness. Jeroboam, who was the first king of Israel, did great wickedness in the eyes of God. And every evil king after that was compared to him. All the way up to King Josiah. But King Josiah had it in his heart to serve the Lord. So he sends them up to build the house of God. And they find the book of the law. They haven't read God's word in years you know when you step away for a little bit from reading the word of God, it's been a day, it's been two days, it's been a week. It had been decades since any king had read the word of God, and it is sitting dusty in the house of the Lord, and they hadn't read it. Why is that significant? Because they have not had the word of God to bring order into the kingdom. They have been doing things their own way. They have been following the way of the Baals. They had no order. It was chaos till Josiah found the book. And I love the heart of this young man. It says, when he read, he heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. That means that when he heard God's order, when he heard God's structure, when he heard God's way of us living life, his heart was broken. And he wanted to get in line with God. You know, too many times today we have people who hear the word of God and the first inclination is to figure a way to try and twist it so it meets their culture. It meets their demands, it meets their needs. But we see the heart of this young man, and he said, we have done great wickedness in the eyes of God. And he tore his clothes in immediate repentance. Because at the, the reading of the word, he realized that they had done wrong and evil in the sight of God. So now, he has this book read to all the people, and they go to a woman named Huldah. She was a prophetess in those days. And in verse 16, she says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent, to, uh, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what was spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. So Holda, this, this prophetess, speaks to him and says, 
All these things that are written in the book, this calamity is going to come upon the land, but I'm going to spare you. I'm going to spare you because you didn't know. And when you did know, you repented and you turned your heart towards me. You know, just because we don't know the order of God doesn't mean that we don't fall into chaos if we're not keeping it. I remember uh, I used to watch Looney Tunes all the time when I was a kid. And there was this one episode where it was them fighting when they were little kids. You know, they were always fighting on Looney Tunes. So you have Baby Bugs Bunny, and he's fighting Baby Elmer Foot. Now, Bugs Bunny, being the clever guy that he is, he gets Baby Elmer Foot to walk off a cliff. But the only problem is, Elmer Foot doesn't fall. He just starts walking on air. And Bugs Bunny looks at him, he's like, wait, you're not falling. He's like, and? Bugs Bunny goes, what about gravity? He goes, oh, I don't know about gravity. <laughs> and because he didn't know about gravity, he didn't fall. So, of course, the next scene, Bugs Bunny conveniently leaves a book that says all about gravity for Elmer Fudd to read. Then pulls the same trick on him. And now, because he knows about gravity, now he is subject to it. And he falls down the cliff, and Bugs Bunny wins, as he always did. But see, it doesn't work like that in the real world. God's laws and his order are valid whether you know about them or not. The consequences are true whether you know about them or not. And this is what was coming upon the land. But see, when Josiah saw that there was something wrong, it hurt his heart. I want to give you six steps based on the story of Josiah to bring back God's order into your life. And listen, it doesn't matter what place you're finding disorder. If it's in your marriage, you bring God's order back in and your marriage can be strong again. If it's in your finances, stop blaming the devil. Oh, the devil's attacking my finances. No, you don't have any self-control and you're spending too much. Stop blaming, the, that's one of the wonderful things about being a Christian, we just try and blame the devil for everything. No, the devil didn't make you buy that stuff. That was Bezos and your lack of self-control and you're sitting there on Amazon and you're on a first name basis with all the Amazon delivery people now, aren't you? Yes. But there is a process to getting back into the order of God. And this is significant for us because it's significant from what we have to do on the earth here today. Number one, we have to recognize the chaos. We have to recognize the chaos. Josiah, when he heard the word of the Lord, he said, wow, we are in trouble. There is a certain sect of our nation that refuses to recognize the chaos and the trouble that we're in. They continue to hold fast to principles that are contrary to the word of God that lead us towards destruction and then say, wow, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why things are all of a sudden falling apart in the United States of America, even though we've turned our backs on God and are implementing policies, procedures, and laws that violate the very foundation of this nation. They're surprised. 2 Kings 22 10 and 11. It says, Then Shapham the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shapham read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Number one, we need to recognize the chaos and say, We are in trouble. 
Family, we need to recognize when we're in trouble. We cannot let pride come in. Pride comes in and says, oh no, I can fix this. Well, here's the problem. It was you who got yourself into it, so it's probably not you that's gonna be able to get yourself out of it. It was the principles that you were, you were living by that brought this trouble, and now those same principles are not going to take you out. It's only going to dig you deeper into that place. A lot of times we don't wanna recognize that there's chaos because it means that we have to take personal responsibility, but sometimes we don't recognize chaos, chaos because that's been our whole life. All we've known is this, so we're uncomfortable with the idea that there's any other way or we don't even know what to look for. We have to be able to recognize chaos. And that begins with the word of God. You don't know things are off until you read how they're supposed to be. This is why the word of God is so important and so precious. Next, number two, we've gotta repent for our rebellion. We have to repent for our rebellion. Listen, when we heard the, the word rebel, a lot of times you, you think of those, you know, movies back in the day, rebel without a cause, you got a guy with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, he doesn't care about anybody, he's always causing trouble. That is not true rebellion, even though that's a face of rebellion. True rebellion is simply trying to do your will instead of doing God's. It doesn't mean that you're, you're nasty about it. It doesn't mean that you're malicious. But any time you're trying to execute your will in your way and it is in uh, opposition to God's way, you're in rebellion. And you can be really sweet and nice about it. This is why in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when Samuel is speaking to Saul after he comes back from the battle where he was supposed to destroy everything. But because of the voice of the people, he kept back the best of the sheep. He said, listen, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Because when you rebel against God, you're trying to impose your will over God's, and that is witchcraft. It's a manipulation of God's order. So we have to repent for our rebellion. In chapter 23, verse 3, turn there. It says, then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. See, repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance means that we turn and we go in a different direction. You know, when you apologize, it comes from the Greek word apologia. And that means a defense. So when you apologize, you're simply trying to put up a defense so you don't have the repercussions of what you just did. So you smack somebody in the face, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why are you saying you're sorry? Because I don't want you to hit me back. That's not repentance. Repentance is, wow, I recognize that this is out of order. I need to turn. I need to find what real order is. And that leads us to, to number three. 2 Kings 23, 2. Go back one verse. It says, then the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. So a couple things right there. I want you guys to have grace when your pastors go over. When you're looking at your watch and be like, you know what, we should be out of here five, ten minutes ago and they're still preaching. Just keep in mind, they read the entire book of the law to everybody and they stood why they did it. So just have a little grace. But we need to ruminate on his word. That means to think, to meditate upon, to receive, and to to digest the word of God. That means that we can't just 
go along with just the verse of the day, family. I'm going to wreck somebody's morning right now, but let me go ahead and wreck it. If you're just trying to get by on the verse of the day, that's not going to cut it. I love you, but I got to tell you the truth. That's a good warm-up, but we cannot just take a little piece of God's word and then try and create an entire doctrine or live an entire life on it. What if I said, here, here's one spoonful of cereal, and that's going to last you throughout the day. You'd be like, that is absolutely ridiculous. I want the whole thing. I want an entire meal. We need to eat and think and meditate on the word of God. This is what he said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He said, on this you shall meditate. This book of the law you shall meditate day and night. Then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall have great success. Why? Because when you meditate on the word of God, now you know the order of God. You know what his plans and his purposes are for every territory that we are supposed to have dominion in in our life. Do not just take the verse of the day. Feast on the word of God. Treat the word of God like you would food. Some of y'all would have a smorgasbord, wouldn't you? Do that. This is something that I teach my congregation. Three times a day you feed yourself, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Three times a day you get into the word. When you're eating, feeding your flesh, feed your soul at the same time, and just read the word of God and get it into your system. Ruminate, meditate, think on the word of God so you can know his order, know his ways. Next, remove wickedness. 2 Kings 23, verses 4 through 24. I'll let you go there and read. I'll paraphrase for time's sake. But Josiah went ballistic on Judah. He went and tore down every idol. He removed every false priest. He tore down everything and burned it in the brook Kidron. And he wiped out everything. We have to remove wickedness from our life. We have to remove disorder. We cannot just try and take Jesus and put him up on the shelf with all of our other idols. There's a story of a a missionary that I know. And he went to India. And he preached the gospel. And it was well received. He was actually shocked how open the people were to receive the message of the gospel. And after planting the church there and leaving, he came back. But he did not see a, a change in the, in the people's lifestyle. So he, he went into the church and he went to these people's homes and he realized that they had just taken Jesus and put him up on the shelf with all their other idols. They did not clear off the shelf of the other idols and put Jesus as King and Christ and God alone. They just invited him into their world and included him in the mess. But see, we have to remove the idols. We have to remove the wickedness of our life. You cannot put yourself on a budget and then keep the credit cards that got you into trouble. You gotta cut those things up first and then you can put order in, amen? I just ruined somebody's shopping weekend, didn't I? But that's okay. It's the order of God and you're getting dominion. But listen, you gotta remove wickedness. You know, when we come to Christ, it is a process and we have to be patient with people when they come to the Lord. You know, we can't expect people to to know Jesus and then all of a sudden they're on track. You're not on track all the time yourself. And you've been walking with the Lord 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So we have to have grace for those who are coming to the Lord. But there has to be a process of the removal of the wickedness of our life, the idols of our life. A lot of times we want to put on Christ without taking off the old man. We have to take off the old man. We have to put away the wickedness. You know, if, if we don't and we try and put on Christ, you know what ends up happening? It's kind of like when you've been outside and you've been working all day and you just stink of the sun and then you try and put cologne on. Anybody ever tried to do that? 
Ladies, we know you don't do that, but guys, you know you've tried to do that. You've been working all day, you don't have time to do anything, you gotta go somewhere and you get the ax spray and just and you think that if you hold it for another three seconds, it's gonna cover all the stink. It doesn't work. As a matter of fact, you stink worse, and now that which was supposed to make you smell good, now it's repugnant to everybody. And they don't even like the smell of it. And the same thing happens with us. If we try and put on God's righteousness in his order over disorder and wickedness, then now the righteousness that we walk in stinks to everybody. It's called hypocrisy. Living a, a double life. No, put away the wickedness. Put on Christ. Put on the order of God. So we can walk in his ways. Next, we need to restore Godly order. 2 Kings 23, verse 21 and 22. It says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. He came in and he reinstituted worship. So we remove the wickedness and then we bring in God's order again. Remember, dominion is about walking in God's order. It is not about us imposing our will. It is the order of God and he brought it back in. And then look at what it says after he brought in godly order. 23, chapter 23, verse 25. This is what it says of King Josiah. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Number six, you have to remain steadfast. You gotta remain steadfast. That means that you need to develop the discipline of walking in the order of God, even though it is contrary to what you may want in that moment. You know, there are two great pains in life. Two great pains. There's the pain of discipline and the pain, and the pain of regret. The pain of discipline feels like you not wanting to get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning so you can spend time with the creator of the universe. So you can read his word, so you can pray and feel his heart, set your mind and your heart aright, and then go on with the rest of the day. It's painful, oh, I gotta get up early. But the pain of regret is worse. Going throughout the day and everything feels chaotic. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know when you get up in the morning and everything just flows right? Man, the birds are chirping outside. You get right into the word of God, you're reading, and, and it's like the word just explodes off the page. It's like God is speaking right to you, and you pray, and you're feeling his heart, and you know he's right there. And then you, you, you wake up, and everything just begins to flow. It's, it's like God parted the, the one-on-one for you, and everybody just gets out of your way. And everything's just going right. Why? Because you set things in order. You gave him that first fruit of your day. And when you do that, life just flows well. And then... Compare and contrast that to when, oh, I was up late all night, you know, binging on Netflix, and now I'm late for work, and I'm rushing out. I've got the God of caffeine trying to wake me up and go, and, that, and then things start chaotic, and then they remain chaotic, and then they feel chaotic. That's one day. Now compile that over every single day. Oh, that's 
the pain of regret, but the pain of discipline, just doing what is right before God. It is a blessing. And when you see the reward of it, we can remain steadfast. Now, family, these six steps, this is something for you to do in your personal life. In every territory, you need to take dominion over. In your marriage, in your, in your finances, with your children. But this is also something that the children of God are supposed to exercise here on the earth. And I want to linger here for just a moment. We cannot continue to abdicate our dominion to the powers and principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age. It is our responsibility as the children of God to bring God's order to this earth. But for some reason, we have been duped into believing that we should have a separation between church and state. We've been duped into believing that we should keep God in this place but not have God in the civil area. Family, it is our responsibility to bring God's order to this place, and we've seen what happens when we don't have God's order. Our nation begins to crumble. The economy turns into a mess. Our country gets overrun with wickedness. We see crime on the rise. Why? Because there is an administration who does not honor the order of God, and chaos Emptiness and darkness is coming upon our nation. Now, thanks be to God for men of God like your pastor who will stand strong, who will not bow down to the world under the guise of being nice, just being a a nice guy. No, we are supposed to walk in dominion. That means that we stand up and we fight. And shame on those who, who curse the pastors who do stand and fight because now they're reaping the benefits of those who had the audacity to pray and demand God's order in this nation. But family, I want to encourage you that as you reflect on this, the idea of dominion, the idea of bringing God's order into your life, that it is not just for us. This is a responsibility that we have for the entire world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the very preserving material that keeps the rottenness of this world from coming against everything that is continually here. We are the preserving agent. But if we continue to let the enemy, to let wickedness, to have these woke organizations take the dominion that is due ours, just as Satan took it in the garden, just as Jacob usurped Esau, how can, we, how can we expect for this world to continue? How can we expect our nation to stand? How can we expect our churches to remain open? We have won this battle, but there is a great war upon us. Now, thanks be to God, he gave us the end of the book, and we know how it ends. And we, we got victory. We have victory. But let me tell you, we cannot allow our, no- our knowledge of the end of days force us to be complacent now. We will let go of our dominion because, well, God's just going to do what he's going to do. No, family. We're supposed to be found on that day fighting, standing, walking in dominion. We are not supposed to lay down 
and just hand everything over. Not one place in the scriptures do you see that. That was done once and for all, and that was Jesus on the cross. He laid down his, his authority. He laid down his life for us. But three days later, remember, he took it back up again. And the dominion that he gained on the cross, it is a disrespect to not walk it out in this day. He said, it is better that I go away. Why? Because he will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, that lives and dwells in all of us. So now there is not one Christ who walks around. It is Christ in all of his children, and we can walk out that dominion. He gave us the dominion. Family, walk in it. Walk in the dominion. Bring God's order back to this world. Bring it back to your life. Bring it back to your home. Make sure that you are walking in God's order in this church. I saw the, the announcements as they were going through. They need help in the children's ministry. They need help in the, with the ushers and the greeters. If you are not serving, you should be serving and helping bring order to God's house. Can I get an amen from some of the ushers? Don't be a consumer. Consumers are great. You can come and consume all you want. And I get to say this because I get to go home and you guys won't see me. So I'll say this because Pastor Rob, he has to see you. But y'all should be serving. You need to be a contributor. That's part of God's order, that we will come together as the body. I saw that on the announcements that you have the uh, biblical citizenship coming up. Y'all should take that class. I invite you guys to go out into the lobby and sign up. I think Scarlett's here tonight. Y'all should do that. It will inspire you to take your place. Politics is not about politics. It's about morality. And if we have the book, of, if we have the book on morality, then why would we turn that over to people who don't have any sense of morality? We should be serving in church. We should be serving in our community. Some of y'all need to be running for office and bring God's order into the, into the public square. You guys need to be doing that. So I, my prayer for you tonight is that you, you hear this message on dominion and you are inspired to implement that in your home and in your community. Do you realize that the majority of this nation still claims Christ as Lord and Savior? The majority. Some of y'all are scratching your head like, really? Exactly. How are we the professed majority but still seem to be wavering in our authority and dominion? Well, I just want to preach the gospel. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to rock the boat. Man, when the boat was rocking, Jesus spoke to it and calmed the seas. What are we doing? What are we doing? So in these areas, in your home, in your church, and in your community, take dominion. And listen, family, I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. You have wonderful pastors here who present opportunities for you all to do that. Your leadership here encourage you, teach you. There's this, I saw a discipleship class. How many of y'all have signed up for uh, making disciples class? I saw that. Anyone? Linda signed up. That's it. You all have opportunity to take dominion. Take advantage of these. Here's, here's what the enemy does. He gets the church to become an entertainment center. 
The goal for church is not to be entertained. It is to be changed. So walk out of this place changed tonight. Embrace the birthright that you've been given. Put God's order in your life. And let's go turn this city and this nation upside down for Jesus, just like the book of Acts. Bow your heads with me. Lord God, what a wonderful thing to be called the children of God. We sing the songs, we hear the phrase, but sometimes, Lord God, we forget what that means to truly be your children. Lord, you've given us a birthright to walk in dominion. And time and time again, we've laid that birthright down, Lord God, despite the great price you paid on the cross for us to walk in it. And Lord, we want to we repent for that tonight. We want to repent for giving way to the enemy, giving place to him to walk into our life and take back what is rightfully ours. So Father, we thank you that you have given us a path to walk and we commit to you tonight to walk in it. Family, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to make a commitment to start walking in dominion, and I don't mean something emotional right now, I mean that you are going to take God's order and put it in your life, that you're going to evaluate every territory in your home and in your business, in your family, in your church, in your community, and say, I'm going to be intentional and intense about bringing God's dominion into that area. If you want to make that commitment before the Lord tonight, just lift your hand and say, I'm going to do it. Don't lift your hand. This is a vow before the Lord. Don't lift your hand if you're not going to do it. Amen. And I want to offer this. True dominion begins with making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and being born again. And if you have not done that, you can do that tonight by making the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's you and you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you know that you need to repent for your sins, you know that you need forgiveness and you want to be assured of eternity in heaven and you want to know what you need to do in order to make that happen, I guarantee you that if you ask anyone who has a badge on in this place, any usher, any leader, any member of the leadership team, anyone in the lobby, they'd be happy to let you know. But that's where dominion begins, with submitting to the one true God. God bless you all.